You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. Let's be honest. I'm your host, Just Jonda. Thank you so much for hanging with me tonight or tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this, whether you're live in the room right now on Podbean or you are listening to this recording. Thank you so much for hanging with me. Well, today I have something extra special to talk about. Usually, you know, I'm here talking about everything that's going on in the news and on the shows and trying to keep up with the cases and all of that stuff, which, you know, we do and we love. But today I have the opportunity to give myself some of these sound effects that I like so much. So what am I going to do? I think I'm going to use the cheering one for me because Today, I get to talk to you all about something really special, which is the release of my first published writing project. I had the opportunity to participate in an anthology called The Parenting Odyssey, Trials, Treasures, and Triumphs of Parenting in a Pandemic, and... Of course, I have something to say about everything, right? So I did participate in this project and I am so excited that my section overachieving at everything except parenting is a part of this project. I am going to have the links where you can order it in the information box for this episode, as well as the information box for the channel, because I really want you to get and enjoy the book. There's stories in here that are, some are fun, some are funny, some teach you a lot, some really make you think, but all of it is about what several, to, to wit, 15 of parents all over are going through several of us are writers and and um podcasters and um we come from a myriad of backgrounds as you know from mine i'm an attorney but i'm here on the podcast and i speak and all of that stuff but one of the things that we all had in common was this new world that we have to live in so do i consider myself an expert at this Not really. And I look forward to talking to you about that in a few moments, right after I give myself some applause. So I think I'm going to do the cheering one. Here we go. You can't cheer for anybody. You damn sure need to cheer for yourself. So I'm going to do it today. So as I said, um, I was asked to be a part of this project by a a visionary woman named Carol Muletta, who um, 
has a show called the parenting 411 and she talks to people about parenting strategies and she does this for a living like if anybody wants an expert now she's that person and at first i was like mm, what am i gonna talk about i know i can't do this no one wants to hear anything i have to say but then I reconsidered it, and I'm glad that I did one because it was awesome going through this process, especially given that I have several writing projects, one I hope to be finished with and have published it out to you all in the spring, and two, because it really allowed me to open up, express, and share something that I know that I'm not the only one that goes through, but I just don't think we talk about it enough. Um, we, you know, we talk about it widely, but we want to actually talk about it. Hi, author Kim. We, we talk about it widely, but it's always in the abstract, right? I wanted us to talk, I wanted to engage in a conversation about it uh, from my perspective. So my topic, as I said, was overachieving at everything except parenting. Now, where did I get that from? And I thought about it. Well, all my life, I've been one of those people who would be considered an overachiever. I am one of those people who, you know, I went to law school and I did all of those things. And also being the first, I was the oldest. So I was the first to uh, go to college in my family and even some aspects of my extended family and all of these things. So there's a lot of pressure that even in people's pride for you, that is placed on you as well. And it's not just me. I talked to a lot of my close friends about this because all of us kind of grew up the same way and sort of with the same top billing in terms of being the oldest and having all of that weight, although absolutely well-meaning and very supportive, depending on the type of person you were, it's something that you internalize and put a lot of that on yourself, which I definitely did. <laughs> so um, growing up and, and ultimately um, into adulthood when things would happen, especially if they didn't necessarily go according to the plan, I found and, and certainly had the opportunity to delve even deeper uh, going through therapy, I found that what I was often dealing with wasn't just whatever the specific issue was. It was typically whatever the specific issue was that made me sad or hurt or, or what have you, combined with that loss of control, right? So for instance, when I lost my I lost my son. I had three children. One lived um, for eight weeks, and uh, and he's deceased. So I have an angel in heaven. His name's Jared. And so in dealing with that, and of course in being a parent is something you never truly get over. And I say this all the time, which is part of uh, the book that I'm writing. When everyone says. Uh, 
well, you know, you're starting over and all of that. Well, I'm not starting over, I'm starting after. But at any rate, um, a lot of what I dealt with in therapy wasn't just the loss of him, but it was also the loss of control. The fact that I couldn't make things go right in my, you know, when you start going down the path of what if, well, what if I'd gone to the hospital sooner? What if I had realized this? What if I had paid attention, uh, had noticed that my feet were swelling? You know, all these things that I don't have a degree to necessarily diagnose, but what is it? what was at the core of my what ifs? Maybe not for other people, but certainly for me, what is at the core of my what ifs was that loss of control and that loss of control, both in that situation and others that I'll, I'll be talking about uh, tonight in, in other episodes as we continue this topic, it ended up spiraling into other avenues of my life. And because I couldn't control it, it I went into shutdown mode, which of course then you're also dealing with depression and everything that comes along with that. So you say, well, how do you get to this overachieving at everything except parenting? Didn't you get better? Didn't you figure out figure it out? Well, of course, mama's got to function, right? Because as they say, if mama's not doing well, nobody's doing well. Mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? So whether you are actually hanging in there or you fake it till you make it, mama's got to get it together. Now, exactly, author is right. And that's no shade to anybody else. If you're blessed to have a dad in which we are and extended family, although um, most of mine live, lives a little farther away, but still very engaged in as much as they can be with the distance and lots of love and you build a village and church and all of those things, right? You join organizations and, and so you think you're doing all the right things and you're checking all the right boxes. I have uh, my kids, well, my son, uh, now we're talking about if we're going to talk about the pandemic in particular, since um, I'm referring to the book, um, my son, when the pandemic began, was uh, 20. And my daughter was a new 13. I know, yes, I look fabulous. I, I was a baby when I had them, right? So, <laughs> so anyway, um, my son, of course, given his age, it's, it's a, at a was at a bit of a different stage of his life. But if you are an active and engaged parent, you know that post 18 doesn't automatically mean the parenting stops. That's, that's just not realistic, whether in your house, out of your house, in college, wherever, it, it doesn't stop. The way that you do it just changes. Well, my son is actually in the house. And even for people whose children were at college because of the pandemic, they were back home. So again, there is still some parenting involved with him. And then of course, the 13 year old, the obvious, different stages, different pages, nevertheless involved. My daughter in particular, because of her age, is the one that at that point I'm running from place to place. She's a dancer. So we're at dance class and we're at 
this activity and that activity and the things that I involve her in that she's like, mom, why? But I'm like, this is important. You're going to do it anyway. And the things that she wants to be involved in. And I'm like, baby girl, why? And But you got to do it because, you know, teenage. And I mean, do you want to deal with the drama if you don't? And you think you're doing it well, even if everything isn't perfect with you. And in speaking for myself, was everything perfect? No, not where I wanted to be uh, career wise because of various issues had to pivot in terms of my five year plan and 10 year plan. And then just as I thought I was getting back on track, well, God had another plan because then there's the health thing. So I'm, I'm dealing, you know, I was dealing with that as well. So again, I'm post pivot. So there's that constant process of what are those words I said earlier, starting after. So we had the starting after trying to get my life and my head together after the tragedy of losing my son in 2005. And then the starting after the, uh, after the situation of having breast cancer and everything that came along with that in 2013 and still trying to maintain running a law practice. And then they're starting after again with finding that I had a benign brain tumor that nonetheless had to be removed in 2015 and, and closing my law practice. So there's this constant process process. By the way, I did not mean to hit applause for any of that. <laughs> this is what happens when you're your own engineer. My screen went dark and of course I hit the mouse to turn it back on and I just happened to be hovering over that. I mean, I suppose I should give myself some applause maybe because all of these things I just rattled off, I'm still here to tell the story. But nonetheless, when you are a parent, there are all of those things, but you still have to parent. Your children are going through those things with you too. So before we even get to the pandemic, I'm already feeling like I'm failing failing the kids who are here and the one that I couldn't save because as far as I was concerned, my body, it, and, and there's a part of me that still feels that way, betrayed him. And then, so my daughter wasn't born yet, but there's the agony of what my son who wanted a little brother more than anything had to go through. And then at the point, and we're all in stages of transition, right? At the point where I had breast cancer, it was right where my, pra my law practice is hitting a groove. And I'm already thinking about my five to 10 year plan of not only continuing the growth plane for the practice, but also kind of that climax. And if you're in the literature, that denouement where I am, uh, planning for how I will transition into writing and speaking engagements and all of those things. And by the time I'm 50, 55, I'm on CNN or MSNBC, or I'm the, you know, the best thing since Oprah. And um, my meanwhile, just trying to do my thing. And the next thing you know, I get sick. My son, like I said, um, right at a point of transition, my son's in eighth grade, which means he's about to go to high school the following year. Big transition time for him. And of course, what is a big transition time for them is a big transition time for you. 
And I'm also in the midst of figuring out some things with him in school and, and how he learns and making sure that he has all the tools that he needs for success. Because again, he's about to go to high school. At that point, I had a baby girl who was, mm, I would say if he was going to eighth grade, she was about four or about to turn, uh, yeah, about to turn four, 13, they're eight years apart. So she's about four. So about to start regular school, big kids school, as they call it, transition for her and talk about a time of being confused. On the one hand, I've got a son who I don't want to worry about. I don't want to worry about anything. And then I have a daughter who's going to be completely confused. So we go through that. And again, starting after. And then the next situation comes. And again, starting after. Now, I got to tell you, as just a little aside for him, made a hell of an essay. Get ready for college. <laughs> Given how high school started out and, and what his freshman and sophomore year looked like um, in terms of the transition in our household and what that meant for his mom. And then the impact of closing a business and the financial impact on the home. So there's all of those things that are already that underlying feeling of guilt. Forget about my concerns about whether or not I was being a good companion or partner to my husband. I, I was already feeling some kind of way about that. But then you've got these kids who don't ask to be here. If my husband decided the next day, you know what, I'm good, I've had it, you're nuts, plus you've got all of this going on, I can't be mad at that. And he's an adult, but your kids don't ask to be here. So nobody, they, nobody can just walk away and they can't either, well, you hope they won't. Um, it, the great question, was it mostly from being sick or the loss of your child? Uh, really both, um, author KJ Dunn. And the reason why I say both is because I, um, just when I got to a point of feeling like I got the, um, got a handle on the depression and, and everything that went along with that, because, um, starting my practice and having, another child that was after um my son died in 2005 so there was definitely a lot of things that were going on that would continue to push things in a positive direction and like i said even if a lot of times you're on that fake it till you make it point you're still making it and it still looks good from the outside and hopefully you're doing it well enough um, or I'm doing well enough at what I call the Jonda show, so did my therapist, to make, it, <laughs> to make it all okay for everybody else. Because it doesn't, it, as some of you may know, it doesn't just have to be okay for your kids. And it doesn't just have to be okay for your spouse, but it also needs to be okay for your parents or at least I thought it did, I will say that. Because again, some of us put this stuff on ourselves because obviously if I were to ask 
my parents or my siblings or my close extended family members, my friends. Um, you know, I was president of an organization and I sat on several boards. If I were to ask all of those people, you already know without me telling you what they would say, no, you didn't have to do all of that for us. But I did it anyway. And technically, no shade to any of those people. None of them stopped me either. So, <laughs> you know, so it, it, I, I'm going to leave that alone. Anyway, <laughs> it, it, you know, so it all looks good in hindsight, right? So, um, and, and at the end of the day, it is it is all on me. Okay, because they probably would have had to, you know, claw the gavel out of my cold, dead hands and, you know, and chase me down the street to grab my briefcase from me. I mean, there was one time where I was like in court three days after chemo. I mean, there's just there's some things that are part of being you that being knocked on your ass sometimes isn't enough. It's some of us have to be knocked on our ass punched in the face, an anvil dropped on us, kicked in the groin, and practically drawn and quartered. And then we'll say, okay, yeah, you're right. I need to stop. <laughs> so, and and I, I readily admit that I am one of those people. <laughs> so at any rate, there's that buildup of, of the guilt. And as I start the chapter, I even found, and I'm sure that many of you have heard, anybody who's paid attention to anything about parenting, have heard the saying that parenting is like 90% guilt or, you know, there's some whatever it is um, statistic, right? We hear that all the time. And it's really funny because uh, one of the things that I, when I was thinking about this and I was, I was preparing what I was going to talk about, because there was, I had, there was no question in my mind. I knew what I was going to say. Um, I said, you know what, where did I get that from? Because I know that it came from somewhere and you hear it everywhere. Well, interestingly enough, um, and I talk about this in the book, is that I wasn't surprised to find a, a study that um, in, uh, it was a 2017 study that polled 2000 parents of school-aged children. And it was a cross section across the country um, that stated that American parents feel pangs of guilt at least 23 times a week. Now, let's call a spade a spade on that. Parents, and notice I'm saying parents because parents is, you know, uh, fathers and mothers may feel it 23 times a week. But if you ask mothers, they would probably triple that. There is always something. So how does all of this relate to, you know, the pandemic part, right? Because you're like, Jonda, you've been all over the mulberry bush. Well, I've if you've not listened to this podcast before, I told you in the very beginning, <laughs> when I started this, you're going to learn all kinds of stuff about me as we go on and have these conversations. I say all that to just say that the guilt thing isn't new, but 
you find ways to cope with it. And one of the ways I think that a lot of us tend to cope with that is things, right? Especially if you're like me um, and you have busy kids or you just have a busy, even if your kids individually aren't busy, like you, I'm not saying you necessarily have to be like me and have a daughter that has like, 16 to 17 hours of dance class every week. And I'm not saying that as an exaggeration. She's a competitive dancer and the the 16 to 17 hours is actually a slow week until competition season starts. Um, so you it, even if it's not that, and then of course, if it's not dance, it's Jack and Jill's this, that, and we're running, uh, you know, running all over the place in chapter meetings. And then she's in the team group and all of these things. So, when it comes to feeling like you may not be doing it right or as great as you would like to do it, the fact that you are, um, your hours are filled with those things, um, the running them around, the spending insane amounts of money, all of those things make you feel like, you know what, I'm probably not doing it so bad. And I'm take another quote um, from the book where I said, running around, running everywhere day and night, having kids engaged in everything from church and school groups to expensive hobbies they won't remember 10 years from now makes us feel like great parents. You're able to step back and say, look what I did. I'm raising well-rounded citizens of the world right? We all feel like that. We can say that. But guess what happened when the pandemic happened, when the pandemic came? I think we all know, right? Everything stopped. And I was not, I'm on the East Coast. I am in the DC metro area. So I wasn't in one of those areas where they had to be dragged into lockdowns, kicking and screaming, if at all, right? You know, places like Atlanta, I mean, or Georgia, but we saw Atlanta on the news a lot, Florida, Texas, and, and some of those places um, in the far West where either it just wasn't hitting them as much or even if it was well you already know because these are the same people who are um largely anti-vax anti-mask anti-everything so i'm in northern virginia um in the dc as i said in the dc metro area so we were um like pretty much right behind New York in terms of shutting things down fairly quickly. And of course, as we know, unfortunately, the situation became politicized. So it also was like, okay, whether or not your governor was a Republican or a Democrat at the time, and, and ours was a Democrat and was following uh, one of the ones that was pretty much following pretty closely um, behind Cuomo. So Literally Friday the 13th, the day that will live in infamy, I had my first colonoscopy and got home and found out that schools were closing. Like most people, we're still thinking, okay, well, I guess they're, the kids are just going to get an extra long spring break. I think that was a lot of our philosophies and the kids were, were happy for it because at that point, even they didn't 
realize what life for them would really be like if they weren't going to school because you know any excuse to be out of school and then when it goes on for a month they're like what the hell so it all stopped stopped for me stopped for them uh the type of job i was working at the time was an easy transition into remote work so uh, thankfully, I, I still was able to uh, do that. Well, what's the impact of everything shutting down? Everybody's home. And all of that noise that you're able to keep up with running here and running there and dealing and, and the activities and all of that stuff that makes you feel like, okay, I'm not doing so bad. All of that goes away. And then it's just you and them. Now, again, my son, like I said, still some parenting, but in a very like sort of hands-on, hands-off, yo-yo kind of way. They realize that they need you when they need you, even though you saw it coming and you got to let them realize that, you know, that whole kind of thing. But again, my daughter's still very much in the thick of it. Newly 13, still in the, actually, that was the, uh, the second half of seventh grade for her. So had really only had a year and a half of experiencing middle school at that point. So again, very critical life stages. And I realized that what was going on, what happened in my house was as if the signal went out of a radio. You can turn from station to station, but there's still no signal. But you know that there's there, there's people at the radio station, but you're still not getting it everybody's in their own room and there's nothing like connecting and then the weeks go on and we realize okay are we going to be one of those school districts that have got to do school okay we're dealing with all that coming up with trying to figure out some activities but of course not stressing her out at that point son was still uh working to a degree husband still working and unfortunately, they're working outside of the house. So, of course, I'm like scared. Oh, God, they're going to bring home this COVID thing that nobody could understand. But what I'm noticing is that, or at least I assume because of what I'm seeing, is that the rest of the world seems to be coping. Of course, we all enjoyed those Friday nights that first couple of times when it happened, when D-Nice gets on and we realize we're like having full on dance parties in our houses. But that was the adults. I mean, I suppose there's some cool parents that were getting down with their kids to D-Nice, but my kids, again, were still like in their own spaces doing it their way my son on the phone with his friends from college my daughter you know doing whatever 13 year olds do um i'm still figuring that out but you know they're on the phone they're on the internet all of that stuff and so it was it was confusing because i'm like what is going on and what i realized is or at least that i felt especially looking at everyone else's that there was this disconnect 
that everybody that I'm seeing, especially on social media and talking to friends or whatever, everybody is, you know, they are cooking together and they're coming up with new recipes and they're doing puzzles and they're, I don't know, making quilts and all this stuff. And yeah, that wasn't going on for us. And it ratcheted up that mom guilt, that parenting guilt to a whole other level, because then it wasn't about a specific thing. I failed them because our financial situation changed when, you know, I had illnesses or I failed them because I couldn't be active and engaged having been sick for prolonged periods of time, or I failed uh, because, you know, my son was grieving because his brother died. All of those things. This was, I'm failing because I'm just failing. This was, I'm not, uh, I can't even say I'm not killing it. I'm not doing anything at, as it relates to this parenting thing because there seems to be nothing happening. So is there something wrong with them? Is there something wrong with me? Well, if there's something wrong with them, then it's gotta be me, right? Me, 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 it's gotta be all on me. And that was a lot, a lot of weight. And then let's face it, you're also still dealing with your stuff the stuff that you already have going on because you're in this pandemic too. So once again, I still have to figure out whatever it is that may be going on with them as well as try to make it seem like mama's okay when mama's not. So there's all of that going on. So once again, if mama's not okay, nobody's okay, but you can't really focus on mama because you don't know if the kids are okay. So there's two things that I talk about in the book that I think were very important um, in terms of coming to terms with a whole different level of mom guilt, because now we're talking about pandemic mom guilt, <laughs> and which is mom guilt of pandemic proportions is on a whole other level. And there were two main things there's, and, and there's several strategies and, and we'll again in coming episodes talk about them, but I just wanted to focus on the first two that I thought were most important. And they're the two that um, I focused on in the book. The first is creating distance. Remember in school, when you learn the definition of a noun, a noun being a person, place or thing, Use that definition, and that's what I did, to create distance. So let's start with persons. Create distance from people. Anyone or anything, however much you may love them or they love you, that makes you feel less than. And I'm not saying that you need to go on a slash and burn and tear and cut the world off. 
I am simply saying that if you can't function with certain people, and that's good or bad, because there's some people that you probably didn't need in your life in the first place. But if you can't function in a healthy way without comparing yourself to them, then you need to create some distance. Because even if it is someone you love or who loves you, if you are making a constant comparison that makes you feel less than, then there is still something unhealthy there that you need to work on. So if nothing else, you need to create enough distance to shift yourself or shift your perspective from comparing yourself to them in an unhealthy, unhelpful, and self, and, and most importantly, self-sabotaging manner. Because there's something else there. And the only way that you're going to be able to shift that perspective is distance. And it doesn't have to be anything that you talk about because, again, some of that comparison may come from not so much that you are spending physically too much time with them or talking to them or whatever. It could be as simple as you're watching too closely. And it's really funny the tricks our minds play on us, especially when we are in a mode where we are determined to beat ourselves up anyway, because despite the fact that you are watching so closely that your face is practically at the window, everything that you're seeing is still not what you think you're seeing because it is still being filtered through a lens of self-loathing. And that's not about them, that's about you. And even if the distance is noticed, hopefully if it's again, some distance that needed to happen because the whole situation was unhealthy, then who cares? But if, it's, if it is an otherwise good connection, but again, the issue was you looking too closely through an unhealthy lens, that might be something you just have to say. But I really don't think it's necessary because if you were looking through to looking too closely through an unhealthy lens, then you shouldn't be doing that anyway. It's kind of creepy. I'm just joking. <laughs> but I just don't think they'll notice. Next, again, like I said, think of it like a noun. Person, places, things. The next one's places. And this one is huge because what is a place that most of us go to all the time, sometimes without even leaving, uh, not even just leaving our own house, not even leaving your own bed. Like literally it goes with us everywhere. It can even go with us to the toilet. The internet, one of the most prominent places that we go. And particularly during the, as I call it, pandemonium, um, 
we all probably, even those who insist that they are so above the social media thing, and I just don't do it, and I don't have this, and I don't have it. I mean, I use LinkedIn, but that's about that's about it. Um, even those individuals, for the most part, um, social media or uh, just even just scrolling the internet, but certainly social media became an even bigger part of most of our lives because being inside, it provided a connection to the world. Like if you were somebody who typically didn't pay much attention to Instagram, you might've started going a little more if for no other reason than to go to the D nice parties or watch the latest verses, especially when they first started. Cause it was like a huge thing and, you know, and they had like really big stars at that, you know, when it initially started, you know, Teddy Riley and Babyface and Jill Scott and Erica Badu and, and all those, I guess I'm giving away the ones that I watched. So, and, and that one for obvious reasons can be particularly problematic because as we know, social media, you're not there. You're not where the person is. So talk about looking at something through a lens of fallacy. Not only, I think the, the issue with social media that it can be so, um, or, or just the, not even social media, because I'm not one of those people that's totally anti. I love social media. Um, but I would just say the internet in general, the issue with that is it's even worse than what I talked about with the people, right? Because with the, with the internet, you're not only, because remember, you're already in a self-loathing mode because this whole thing we're talking about is parental guilt. So you're already in a self-loathing mode. So you've got two problems there, or, or I won't say two problems, but two issues there that make, um, make coming make it, it it sends it coming at you 10 times worse the first is that you're as with when you're watching people you are viewing it through a lens of self-loathing but with the internet and uh you know and particularly if you're looking at site people on um you know instagram TikTok, facebook to a degree but certainly um Instagram and 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 TikTok and Snapchat. When you are looking at those, people are showing you their aspirational lives. They are showing you. People are not showing you all of their warts, unless they're trying to be funny. But for the most part, you are seeing because we all do it. We're not, when, when we record things or take pictures or whatever, we're not trying to get our worst side. We're trying to get our best side. When your kids have school pictures, you're not sending them dressed at their worst. You're trying your best to send them dressed at their best. Hair done clothes done, all of that. And of course, if they're younger and allow you to judge them up, then, you know, and of course you got to cross your fingers because if they don't take the pictures first thing in the morning, you're still going to get what you get. Um, 
but nobody goes out of their way to put out their worst side. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about young people who do all of their stunts and shows. I'm talking about us folks, people who are good and grown, who have kids, especially uh, kids of a certain age range. We, those of us who have real jobs and lives and, and actually care about our image, we are not putting ourselves out there at our worst. I mean, there's some people and we're usually critical of them. Why is that important for me to reinforce that point? Because you are already looking from a standpoint of self-loathing at something that is not real. It is meant for you to believe that all is well in their home, in their lives, on their face, whatever they're wearing, however their children look, whatever cookies they're baking, all of those that nobody is posting that they suck at this. So if you're already in a bad place, you can't go out seeking things that are going to make you feel like even more of a freaking loser. So why are you going to a place where you know that people are not only going to show their best side? Because under the best circumstances on social media, people are showing you their best side. But chances are, they uh, there are a lot of folks take it even further and go to a go to a level where it's just patently not real. So at best, you're comparing yourself to an unrealistic expectation because what you're seeing is essentially that family's Sunday best. Or at worst, you're comparing yourself to something completely fake when you already feel like shit. The third one in your person, place, or things is what? Things. That's the catch-all for everything. Did you think I was going to provide some other spectacular insight? It's just a catch-all for everything. What we ingest infects us at all stages of our lives, just like you're imprinted when you are an infant. So if anything, being a parent made me more hyper-aware and since I already have issues of control and wanting to meet these impossible expectations that I set for myself because I have it conjured up in my head that that's what everybody around me expects to see from me. This is going to make it even more so. And by the way, me and meanwhile, while I've got all of this going on, my kids were fine. My and I won't say perfect. I mean fine in the sense that the same things that they are going through are the same things that pretty much everybody's kids are going through because this has been and to a degree continues to be a difficult time for everyone. 
So the second one, because that person, place, or thing all came under the first, uh, under the umbrella of the first uh, strategy. But the second one is very simple, right? I say that and then I'm going to give you a whole explanation, but I, I won't make it long. Accept the parenting skin that you're in. Now, this is something that I'm still working on. And I think a lot of us, um, if we haven't started it, then we should and we're still working on is no different than trying to accept the skin that you're in wrinkles warts extra fat the fact that you don't look as hot as you did when you were 21 walking across campus and what have you all of those things i may not ever win any awards especially for my own kids <coughs> but i also know i'm not done and in remaining committed to growing and even growing with my kids, I know that I have to do that in a way where I'm, uh, that keeps me committed, and I, and I am, to um, discerning what they need from me at different times. And in being able to do that, I can't do that through lenses of beating myself up because that's not what they need from me. And while I'm doing that, I'm still missing what it is that they may need, if anything. Because again, all of our kids are going through something on some level due to this being such a substantial change um, in their way of living, especially when you've got kids who are busy. I suppose one way to look at this, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but just in full disclosure, <laughs> when you think about it, they're still young. For at least the first 20 to 25 years of their lives, and you know, because we've been through it, isn't everything unprecedented to them? I mean, yes, this, we, we talk about this pandemic as an unprecedented time in modern history. Yes. But when kids are young, again, isn't every freaking thing unprecedented to them? This, yes, not going to school and all of that different. But there's going to be phases and things that you're going to have to go through with them hopefully not as extreme as this but as long as they are in those developmental years there is going to be something are you ever going to find me saying that i don't have pangs about parental guilt about areas where i could have should have or even moving forward can do things differently from how I've done them previously? Probably not, because I'm not built that way. If nothing else um, between the control freak and the perfectionist in there fighting, um, probably not. And then there's that that whole anal retentive piece in there. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of wars going on that are not probably not going to ever allow that to happen. And I don't 
think that that is uh is necessarily a terrible thing i think it's a matter of perspective and keeping it in perspective and in, and certainly for me and and i suspect quite a few others like me not allowing it to drive you to the point of distraction possibly even triggering uh depression or anything else that you may already be dealing with on an intimate human level having absolutely nothing to do with your kids, your significant other, or anything like that. It just the stuff that you've got all mixed up inside of you because of the way that you were built. I hope that you all at least enjoyed uh, me talking about how I got to the point of feeling like overachieving at everything except parenting was the right topic for me in this parenting anthology. And I hope that you all will be interested in continuing to read the amazing stories of my fellow authors, um, some from as far away as Madrid, Spain. As I said, this was definitely a labor of love and an incredible project to be involved in. Again, it's called The Parenting Odyssey, Trials, Treasures, and Triumphs of Parenting in a Pandemic. And um, again, I, I just can't tell you how much this meant to me to be involved in it. And also to announce that within our first uh, 24 hours out, we did indeed uh, make the Amazon uh, bestsellers list. Um, number two in uh, eBooks for Parenting, number one in uh, eBooks on, what is it? Uh, I think it's like Family Relationships in Parenting, and currently at about 100 in parenting books overall. So very, very excited um, about what we're doing and, and being able to talk about this project and also um, uh, in allowing me to talk even more because in the book, obviously sharing space with other people, um, I mostly talked about specifically the pandemic, but thankfully in having this um, in having this form, I was able to go a lot deeper in talking about um, how I got to the point of deciding that this was going to be the direction that um, my chapter went in. And of course, um, lessons learned as I actually lived it and, and continue to live it. So thank you all very much. And with that, I am going to close. I hope you will continue to listen. If you are not already subscribed, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts, please do so you don't miss out on anything. As you can see, I talk about a wide variety of topics. This was just one that was very personal to me because of the book, but there is still lots to talk about with all the mess as well. Melissa and I will certainly be back with our updates on all things uh, Bravo. And um, I also have Sean in the gang who 
will be catching up on uh, on the most recent episode of Ready to Love. I will also be giving an update on several cases that are going on out there that are very interesting right now. Today was the arguments in the case out of Mississippi that is um, an even stronger attempt at overturning Roe v. Wade as compared to the Texas case. So I'll definitely be talking about that uh, with someone who has worked as a federal prosecutor and will um, sort of get their point of view on that, uh, on that issue as well. So lots of good things coming up. And most importantly, my 100th show, which is going to be a lot of fun because what I'm going to do is go back and touch on some of my favorite topics over the hundred and needless to say there's a lot so it'll be it'll be a lot of fun because some of them um it'll be interesting to see how some things have aged and maybe even um how the stories have developed in ter uh, compared to where they were when i originally talked about them so 100th episode coming up yeah this is actually episode 99. Say woo! Make sure that you look in the info box for this episode or the information area for um, for the podcast, you will find all of the ways to contact me, including my email, as well as Instagram and Twitter, you can DM me, I always answer, or you can email me if you want um, to, if there's a topic you'd like to discuss, a legal question, whatever, feel free. Also, obviously, if you want to have me for speaking engagements, you can reach me via email. The link to purchase the book will also be there, of course. And my cash app is there. If you want to support the show, that is, um, that's also there, uh, cash app and Venmo. And um, I think that that is about it. Uh, if you have iTunes, please go on there, leave us a review and five stars. And of course, if you have iHeartRadio, go on there and uh, give us um, favorable review as well. And as I said, we're on every platform. So make sure that you subscribe on every platform you listen to so that you'll never miss a show. And as always, if you're thinking about it, want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and I want to talk about it too. So let's be honest together. <laughs> <laughs>